0: Today's reading is 1 Timothy chapter 4. will be reading the whole chapter. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the saviour of all people, and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy, when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers.
1: All right, well, it is um, lovely to be back with you again. Um, Last time I was with you was, I was just reflecting, it was the last week back in the Ranella Neighbourhood Centre, and some of you will recall I was still on crutches at the time and in a moon boot. Uh, I snapped my Achilles tendon last year. That was five months ago. Um, I'm up and about... Still trying to work on standing on tippy-toes, which means I think my ballet career is probably gone, Um, but uh, very glad to be here with you today. And if we've not met before, I do look forward to meeting you over these next four weeks. Uh, One of the great delights for us of being part of a network of churches, so 11 churches now around Adelaide, uh, is that we're all on about the same thing of trying to see the good news of Jesus taken to our whole city, our country, and the world. And uh, it's a real treat and privilege for me to be here today uh, to renew some old acquaintances and to hopefully make some new ones. Um, Hopefully, as you came in, you were handed one of these handouts. If you don't have one, could you pop your hand out and someone will bring you one because it's got both the Bible passage printed um, and also uh, some notes on the right-hand side, which will help you follow along. There's old... um, not old regulars, are used to the fact that I've got blanks on there that you'll have to fill in. This is just basically so you concentrate. Um, There's nothing other, no science behind that, but that will help you follow along. And you'll also see that today I'm going to actually give this talk in two short parts and give you a chance just about halfway through and near the end just to turn to the person next to you and talk about some of the ideas that I'm raising, particularly Uh, how you apply it in your life. I think that's a really important thing for us to do, not just to hear the word in and out, but to try and think about what difference it will make for us. Uh, Flag also at the end, we'll finish with questions. So if you have anything to do with what I've raised today, um, store them up, ask questions at the end. We'll do that each week. It just gives people a chance to be able to interact around God's word. Um, 1 Timothy 4 feels like a page out of a pastor training manual. And I'm conscious that most of us here aren't pastors. So obviously the big question is, how does this apply to us? Okay, that's, that, that's what I want us to try and see today. You'll see three things I want to cover. A generous God who is the saviour of all people and then command and teach these things. Uh, we're just going to make our way through the passage um, chunk by chunk and think about how it applies to us. So uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. A generous God, uh, A generous God, let me read out the first five verses again. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Well, um, in our society, as you well know, Christians are usually seen as killjoys. We are the people who are constantly harping on about sin and death, rules and regulations, seem to be moralising about all the things that you cannot do, oppressing freedom and basically sucking all the fun out of life. Because Christians usually seem to be seen to be saying no to social change, people tend to assume that our God is is also always saying no. That God is anti-enjoyment and generally anti-pleasure. What's fascinating in 1 Timothy 4 is that we see this is nothing new. From the very first years of the early church, there was a growing movement within Christianity that railed against what you might call loose living amongst Christians in particular and in society at large. These are the people who are concerned by lax moral standards and so they tried to limit Christian freedom. Look at verse 3. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods. The logic appears to be that if you could show extreme self-restraint, that would somehow impress God, even earn his favour through your impressive abstinence. Now, of course, if you find yourself wondering, well, why would anyone go in for this? I think it's worth us reflecting for a few minutes on the constant appeal in 2020 from our political leaders to give up a few freedoms now to secure a better long term benefit. You all know what I'm talking about. And to a large degree, it's mostly succeeded, despite some prominent exceptions which, of course, us being Australians, we've come up with a great word to describe them. We call them covidiots. There is, in a sense, a very easy simplicity in just doing what you're told, of not being the one who has to make the hard calls and then copying the blame afterwards. I mean, really, who in their right mind would be a politician at this time? And yet... Paul denounces such false teachers as, do you notice what he called them? Deceiving spirits. He calls it things taught by demons. That's pretty harsh language. And the reason is because such teaching cannot be further from the truth. So in verses 4 and 5, we're reminded that God is good, that God's world is good, and that in his abundant generosity... God fills our lives with lots of good things. We know that especially to be the case here in Adelaide. I don't need to detail them for you, although to be honest, it probably wouldn't hurt us if I reminded us once again of all the good things that we have in this part of the world. We are largely COVID-free. We have, as you know, in South Australia, the best festivals, in fact, one every weekend of the year we have the best wines, we have the best weather. Is not spring and autumn, just the most magical times of year. We, of course, have affordable housing and no traffic, so you can get home to enjoy those houses. And uh, as we all know, look, I say this every time because it's true, there is no convict heritage here. Now, I say this particularly looking at Liz, because I know that she's new here. She's only been here for a few weeks. Let me tell you that as soon as South Australians discover that you moved here from somewhere else, uh, they will remind you we're all free settlers. Um, I've lived here for 17 years now, and people still remind me of that, uh, to which the response I've cultivated over the years is just to remind them that my my ancestors probably weren't on the first fleet either. In verses 1 through 5, Paul is reminding us that the right way for us to view God is not as some kind of divine killjoy who we try to impress through self-restraint. Rather, our God is the source of untold blessing. Because the gospel is not just true, it is good. The gospel is not just right, it is also deeply fulfilling and delightfully satisfying. And that means that the response that Paul calls for Verse 5 is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. As we receive God's good gifts, the right response is to express our gratitude in prayer. Seems to me that this is a message that's still worth preaching today. This is a positive story of hope that might just cut through some of the jaded cynicism and bleak despair that besets so many in our city. I want to say today that if you've joined us this morning and you're not a Christian person and you've never seen this side of Christianity, then, well, to be really blunt, I reckon this is why you ought bother with Jesus, why you ought to give him a second hearing. Can I invite you to ask the member of this church who's invited you here, who's brought you along, to ask them to tell you about this side of God? Because I know, actually, that What they long for is for you to have everything that we have been freely given in Christ. Well, point one, a generous God. Let's move on then to point two. Generous God who is the saviour of all people. The saviour of all people. Pick it up in the middle paragraph, verses 6 through 10. Let me read it out again. If you point out these things to the brothers and sisters, you'll be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That's why we labor and strive, because we put our hope in the living God, who is the saviour of all people, and especially of those who believe. Now, uh, this is a letter from the Apostle Paul, an older minister, to the younger pastor Timothy. And in these verses, Paul focuses on the nature of church leadership. Uh, Although I think what he has to say has implications for all believers. Verse 6 If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus. Now, of course, the question is what are these things? Well, given what Paul has just said in verses 1 through 5, I think these things he's referring to. They are the truths about God, what God is like. As we've just seen, God is good, not grumpy, if I can put it that way around. God is good, not grumpy. He is worthy of our consideration and ultimately is worthy of our lives. The really interesting thing is that what Paul then says in verse 6, a good minister of Christ Jesus is nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Uh, What he then goes on to say is, Well, what that means, verse 7, that means having nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. And the reason for that comes in verse 8, because physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, so you don't, gloss over what Paul is saying so you don't miss the point. He kind of grabs your attention. Verse 9, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. It's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. So I want us to pause and focus for a few minutes on the powerfully evocative image that Paul is painting for us. Printed there on your handout. It's of physical training, that is what I've called working out in the gym, as a metaphor for Working hard at our godliness. Working out in the gym as a metaphor for working hard at our godliness. Now, it will be evident to every person here that I do not do the former. I don't work out in the gym, never have, not about to start now. But what you might not realize, although it's sadly true, is that I've not mastered the latter either. I've not mastered godliness Yet what Paul is saying is that all of us get the image of going to the gym. It's hard work. In fact, for a visit to the gym to benefit you, it must be hard. That's where the phrase, no pain, no gain, comes from. Or to put it slightly differently, there is no point going to the gym if you're not willing to break a sweat. Now, Paul's not saying that we love pain, that we look forward to pain, that we seek pain out. Paul is saying that we endure pain for a longer-term benefit. Paul is telling us it's hard work to teach these things about God. It's hard work to train yourself to be godly. But the reason you do it It's because there is a benefit, both in the present life and in the life to come. Now, all of us know how hard it is to be godly in a culture which has no constraints. A culture that has no constraints. We live in a world where you're encouraged to do what you want, when you want, with whomever you want. Yet when Paul says, have nothing to do with such things, he's being pretty blunt. He's saying, don't be distracted from the main game of training yourself to be godly. Because even though we do have a wonderfully generous God, there are limits on our freedom. Actually, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. But God's goodness is actually confirmed by the fact that he doesn't give us every desire of our heart all the time. It actually confirms God's goodness to us. I mean, imagine if he did. Imagine if he gave you exactly what you wanted all of the time the first time you asked it. Sounds pretty good at first. Until you stop and with sober honesty admit I don't always know what's best for me. If God gave me everything I asked for all the time, it would lead to narcissistic self-destruction. So why do we persist? Well, because Paul insists, verse verse 8, Godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Godliness has value both for the present life and the life to come. The benefit in the present life Well, it's actually better, I think, to live a healthy and wholesome and detoxed life. Not a self, not a destructive, self-sabotaging one. Let alone the fact that it's good for society. But it also holds godliness also holds promise for the life to come. And actually, this is harder to see but is more important. Benefit in the life to come. To be with Jesus. To be like Jesus in every way. Which is the Bible's very definition of godliness. Now, because it's harder to see benefit in the life to come, you know that old phrase, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, like the whole point is what you have now, is seems more real, more alluring, more tangible. Most of life today is premised on instant gratification, on not waiting or delaying, but rather having it all now. Because it's harder to value the things in life to come, I'm going to pause and I'll give you a couple of minutes to talk to the people around you, ideally someone who you're not related to or share a household with. See the question, what might help you better value things in the life to come And conversely, what hinders? Okay, understand the question? A couple of minutes, person next to you, then I'll call us back together. Go for it. Okay, thanks everyone. I'm just going to uh, interrupt you at that point. And just um, keep your seats where you are because I'm going to send you back into those groups at the very end. Um... Now, of course, if training ourselves to be godly sounds hard and is hard, then what keeps us going? Why do we keep inviting unbelievers to join us to hear about this God? Well, the answer comes in the end of that paragraph, verse 10. That is why we labor and strive, because we put our hope in the living God, who is the saviour of all people, and especially those who believe. He is the saviour of all people, and especially of those who believe. Uh, Paul is reminding us again that the generous God who fills our lives with so many good things is supremely good enough to offer us salvation. And uh, you will recognise the saying here from chapter 1, actually a few weeks ago, where a very similar phrase, uh, 1 Timothy 1 verse 15, printed on your handout, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, another one of them, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Paul says, of whom I'm the worst. Now, I get, of course, that the world doesn't like to hear this message, that Jesus came into the world to save sinners, because it implies that we're sinners who need saving. But nevertheless, this is the truth about our God and his generosity. Just look very carefully, if you will, with me at verse 10. One thing to draw to your attention. Paul says... The living God is the saviour of all people and especially of those who believe. Here are the blanks for you to fill in. Christians are not universalists. Christians are not universalists. We don't believe, actually, that all people will be saved. But we are totally inclusive. We are totally inclusive. That's the second word for you to fill in. We know that all people can be saved. We're not universalists. We don't believe all people will be saved. Some people, sadly, will continue to reject Christ to the very end. But we are totally inclusive. We know that all people can be saved, that God's salvation is open to all. There are no entry requirements. There are no prerequisites. There are no pressures to conform in the family of god just look around the room we are all different but salvation is available for all do you know that if christians were universalists if we thought that all people will be saved we wouldn't bother with all that hard work of training ourselves to be godly what would be the point but because we are totally inclusive We care about outreach. We care about sharing this great news of God's generous goodness with others. We don't want to hold it to ourselves. Feel free to ask questions about that if you'd like at the end. Let me try and wrap us up then at point three. Command and teach these things. Command and teach these things. Verses 11 through 16. Let me read out the last paragraph and then say just two things. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Okay, Paul wraps up this chapter uh, with some more advice to Timothy, the leader. And we're not going to go through it in detail. Uh, Just to notice that verse 11, command and teach these things is followed immediately by, verse 12, set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Command and teach these things, set an example. The big idea is though, is that although it's important for leaders to properly teach the truth about our generous God, there must also be godly role models. So verse 16, watch your life and doctrine closely. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Because in the end, role models can be so incredibly powerful, both for good or evil. One of the interesting things in this passage is that role models can be younger not just older. So Paul encourages Timothy to be a role model, even though he is younger than the people he is leading. Now that would have been a particular challenge in that culture, I suspect. At the time, the culture venerated age as a sign of maturity. And so I think in verse 12, Paul is acknowledging the risk that the younger Timothy, younger pastor Timothy could be looked down on by others and not listened to. I find it slightly ironic that in our culture, of course, old means obsolete. Grey hair is not prized. Presum- presumably, that's why we either try to colour it away or, this is Colin, not me, shave it off. <laughs> in our culture, sadly, I think youth is idolised. And so perhaps the problem, um, this is me reflecting on the ministry that I have with university students, perhaps the problem for elders is that they will be seen as out of touch, irrelevant, ghosted for not getting the younger ones they try to serve. Now, Actually, what I do want to say today is that actually very rarely happens from the Christian uni students we see. They do honour and respect their elders But even if disrespect occurs, did you notice that the good minister of Christ Jesus' response is exactly the same? It's to set an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Seems to me that that's a five-point checklist for all of us. Because... This is what it looks like to train yourself to be godly. What I ask you today, are you someone whose godliness is evident to all? In your speech, in your conduct, in the way you love others, in your faith, in your commitment to purity. Is this describing you? What would others say about you? What will people say about you when eventually you move on? Now, if that feels like an almost impossible standard to meet, thankfully, Paul shows us that the key to success ultimately rests not in our efforts or our tenacity or our resolution or our commitment to train ourselves to be godly. Actually, did you notice what Paul instructs Timothy? Verse 13. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Paul is saying to Timothy that the way in which you become more godly is under God's word. It's not your intentions. It's not the wisdom you receive. It's God's word alone that can change you because it's God alone who can change our hearts. Do you know that Paul will write a second letter to Timothy? Of course you know this, right? To Timothy. In it, he will urge Timothy to preach the word in season and out of season. And in fact, when Paul reflects on his time with the Ephesians in Acts chapter 20, he tells them how he taught them the whole counsel of God, publicly and door-to-door. So here's my paraphrase of verse 13. Put it there for you on the handout. How do you train yourself to be godly? Read the Word, explain the Word, help others understand the Word for themselves. It's because that's what a good minister of Christ Jesus does. It's more than just getting alongside the flock or journeying with them or training people in ministry, important though those things are. The main role of a pastor in the end is to teach the truth about God and to do so because they've learned how generous God is to us, how wide and long and high and deep is his love for us for he is the saviour of all people. And I take it that that kind of conviction will be evident in the way in which they live because they want everyone to know about it as well. Well, a couple more minutes. Let me just pause then. You'll see the discussion question. Picks up on one of the big ideas, I think, in this last paragraph. Who is a Christian role model to you and why? And then, just as importantly, for whom might you be an example? Okay? People around you, just a couple of minutes. I'll call us back, take any questions and then we'll pray after that. Thank you. Okay, thanks everyone. I'll um, just gather you back together. Thanks for taking the time to try and reflect on some of those things. Um, In a moment, Richard's going to come and lead us in prayer. Uh, Just before he does, as I said at the start, um, any questions? Anything you'd like to raise from today's passage? All right, I'm getting off easy this week. Richard, why don't you come and lead us in prayer?